When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. From the Cookout Pod World Headquarters, this is the Carolina Insider. Brought to you by Visit Myrtle Beach. Go to visitmyrtlebeach.com to plan your vacation. We're back time for another edition. Oh, a Groundhog Day edition. That's right. Of the Carolina Insider. Now, Adam, we got to start with a little bit of controversy here. Yeah. Some people feel as though Sad Friday has started a little bit of bad luck for the Tar Heels. Now, as you know, the reason we started playing Friday was no big deal, but I was out exercising one morning. (laughs) (laughs) And I heard Rebecca Black Friday, because of course it's on on my playlist. Right. And... Whatever happened, we had like an excellent show after we played it. I think the Tar Heels won that weekend. So clearly it gave the Tar Heels great luck. I think that was the good show. Yeah, the yeah. one good one was, yeah. that, was that one. Yeah. So then on the journey of Fridays, as we have gone through, the suggestion was made of like after the Tar Heels, if they lose, you don't necessarily want to be all peppy. But the counter argument to that, Adam is that Sad Friday brings you down a little bit and just drags you even into this vortex of sadness for the Tar Heels. So, Adam, sometimes when you are producing and hosting an award-winning podcast, and by award-winning, I mean we've won a potty. <laughs> which we gave to ourselves. Which we gave to ourselves. Sometimes you have to make tough decisions, Adam. Hmm. And so I've made that tough decision on which Friday to play. It's almost like Rebecca says, like, which seat do I choose? I don't know. I've got to pick one. Or do I, Adam? It's Friday, Friday. 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 
How long did that take? I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been being productive and doing actual work, but instead I took like uh, half an hour to 45 minutes to make a Friday mix down. <laughs> Saturday, if people are listening to the broadcast and Jones is like, here comes the pit point guard whose name I can't remember. He throws it inside to Jerome Lane, who is Pitt's best player. <sighs> that was amazing. I was not expecting that. Adam, sometimes when you have positions of power like we do, we've got to just make hard choices. Mm-hmm. So I did it. Um, unfortunately, Adam, we do have more, the, the, at least the precursor to Sad Friday is here as the Tar Heels came up short on Tuesday against Clemson. And we're going to have to talk about it, but I've got some great news. So we're going to fight through all of that. So that'll be like slogging through Sad Friday. But Adam, then as if a piece of sunshine coming in, a fresh breeze blowing through, we have David Noel on the show. And I'm going to tell you something, Adam. I'm a huge David Noel fan. I love David Noel as a basketball player. But David Noel is like one of just the happiest, most fun people to talk to. And he is one of those guys that you can't talk to without feeling better after you've talked to him. So it's all all the bad mojo. We're going to get it all out now. And then we're going to talk to David Noel. And just as he did in, in 2006, Adam, he's going to lead this scrappy young group of Tar Heels to a uh, strong close to the season. I can feel it in my bones, Adam. I love David Noel. He's awesome. Yes. And if if you have never heard him in this format, the podcast format, which you may not have, you owe it to yourself to listen because I think especially in this format, you realize how awesome he is because almost every answer he will give will have some funny story or he'll say something in a funny way or an insightful way. Also, P.S., he's a head coach now, so he's got some uh, some coaching wisdom to dispense. Two Tar Heels from the 06 team, currently the head coach at their alma mater. Hmm. That's right. Bobby, Bobby Fraser, Fraser and uh, David Noel. Adam, I don't know, don't know if this is going to work or not, but we're going to try. Okay. Don't even worry, Adam. I feel better now. That's David Noel leading the don't even worry, we gonna make it chant. Don't even worry, Adam. At the welcome home in 05, right? Yeah. Don't even worry, Adam. We, we should have had him do that. Don't even worry, we gonna make it. You're probably worried. Not not anymore. Don't. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make it. We're gonna make it. So You should play that for Coach Williams. <laughs> probably make him feel better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But it has been sad Friday here for Coach Williams here recently, for sure. Um, Adam, let's go to Tuesday night. Carolina lost by four to Clemson. And Theo Pinson getting hurt like 90 seconds into the game, I thought totally threw Carolina out of rhythm for the first half. And you know, Clemson made 10 three-pointers in the first half. I think their first eight field goals, it was either seven or eight, were all threes. 
They made, again, 15 for the game. That's now 30 for 60, the last two teams shooting threes, which is comical. And the the Tar Heels had such a big deficit that even with Cam Johnson and Joe Barry just being absolutely lights out in the second half, with Carolina, I think, playing much better just in total in the second half, they couldn't quite get there. They tied the game with... I don't even remember. Two minutes left, 90 seconds left. And then to Clemson's credit, Marquise Reed hit a big three. Now, I think there was a moving screen on that play, but whatever. Uh, They hit a big three. Carolina took a poor shot. Cameron Johnson tried this kind of step back 18-footer. And, you know, he was as hot as you can get, so you can get that. But it was just, it was the worst shot as far as quality of shot that Carolina had taken the whole half. And then Clemson gets an offensive rebound because the Tar Heels knocked each other off. A rebound, Clemson scores again, and they go up five, and Carolina can never can never get it back. So I think you've got to give credit to Carolina for coming back in the second half for clearly because they were at a point where they could have just gone, forget this, and just pieced out and lost that game by 25, and everybody would have been furious and the end. Now, certainly you don't expect that from Carolina. You don't expect that from a Roy Williams team. But I think you're at a point where it could have happened. And to their credit, they didn't let it happen. They came back. They played hard. Had a chance to win the game. However, Adam, 15 of 30 from three. Again, it's the sole. You can give me any other stat. And there's plenty that matter. The only reason Carolina has lost these two games is the last two teams have gone 15 of 30 from three. And they've got to figure out a way to stop it. They have to. And at least half of those 15 were either A, really tough shots by Clemson's normal shooters, or Clemson's not normal shooters suddenly decide, well, everybody else is making a three. Let's chuck one in, too. And just sort of happened by Steve Robinson in the hallway a couple days ago at the Smith Center. And he was talking about it. He said, you know, what happens a lot of times is those other guys see the primary guys making them and they see them going in and that gives them a little confidence. And then they feel like they can do it. And then it turns out they can't because they're ACC basketball players and kind of the opposite had been happening for Carolina in every half up to the second half. When I think Joe Barry and Cameron Johnson sort of fed off each other. And that was the entire offense, Joe Barry and Cameron Johnson. In the, second, in the second part of the second half. So, man, if Pitt makes 15 three-pointers, going to have to, like, sacrifice a monkey or something. Roy Williams said something similar to what you were just talking about with Coach Robinson in that he talked about how poorly he thought his team started defensively in the first half. And he said, so he said Clemson had way too many wide-open threes early. He said then it got better but at that point, they were confident. And he said, and, and he said he thought that actually Carolina guarded some threes after the initial flurry pretty well, and a lot of them still went in because he said then, you know, you get a guy like Marquise Reed, who's a great shooter, or Shelton Mitchell, or um, whoever, once they've seen it go in two, three times, watch out. And so it's just the, the three-point defense, I, I mean – We've talked about it a ton. Roy Williams has talked about it a ton. It's, it's, I don't know what else to say about it other than you have to stop the dribble drive better so you don't have to, if you're going to continue with those principles, you have to stop the drive better so you don't help off so hard 
and leave guys open. That's that's just it. And Carolina did it better in the second half. Yes. It wasn't a game-long thing, but it, it felt like the first half was just sort of an extension of the previous yeah, couple really games. Did. And so it felt kind of overwhelming. And it also was a nice reminder that you should never, ever think, well, everything's gone wrong that can possibly go wrong because Tarnals have lost a couple games. There's been some off-court issues. Nothing else can go wrong. Until 90 seconds into the game, when really one of the one of the guys you cannot afford to possibly lose goes down and totally jumbles everything for the rest of the half. And I, I really think – and Clemson was playing shorthanded too. Sure. And, Grant, Grantham is out. And he is their best player, I think. Um, so they, they had similar issues, and not like they were sitting there going, oh, I feel bad for you guys. But you could – just looking at Carolina, it felt like mentally – that took them out of things for a little while, Pinson being out. And, two, it it affected the rotation, and you had some groups out there who I, I don't think had ever even practiced together before. Let's so The point guard spot, Adam, has become an enormous issue. I think going into the year, if you'd have asked me, I would have said, what, and you said, what position is the strongest on Carolina's team? I'd have probably said point guard because you have – Returning Final Four MVP, Joe Barry. You have five-star recruit, Jalik Felton. And you have Seventh Woods, a big-time recruit in his own right, who is in year two. You know, you're hoping that maybe he's uh, that is taken a step from year one to year two. And as we know, point guard's hard. We've talked about this a thousand times. Carolina point guards get better as they get older because it's a hard position to learn. You know, Woods has missed 16 games in a row now. Felton is suspended indefinitely. And Joel Berry now is being asked to do even more. And, and then you get Pinson, the guy who's going to be your backup, your, your spot minute point guard, get hurt. And we still don't know for sure. You know, Theo has said he's going to play on Saturday, but every player is going to say that. That is not an official word at this point. So right now it's, and you could see it in that first half and really the whole game, but particularly in the first half, the margin of error personnel-wise is so slim that, I mean, you're down three guys in Woods, Felton, and Pinson in that particular moment that were going, that have either have played, are going to continue to play, whatever, key moments. And with, I mean, with three guys who are going to play key minutes out, it, it was just, it was so jumbled that, and you could... There was one point looking at Coach Williams, and you and I, and I even said it on the air, and you and I talked about it during a commercial break. I mean, he had loosened the tie, and he was just sitting there kind of staring off into the crowd with his hands in his pocket, and you could almost see his mind going, what, what is the best thing to do here? And I've got to figure this out in the heat of the moment, and there just was no easy answer. Remember in 2012 when Coach Williams said, the Tar Heels are never going to be this short on point guards again because you just can't afford to be that that shallow at point guard. And Stillman White had to come in for Kendall Marshall, and then there was not a lot behind Stillman White. And and there have been a couple times, a couple seasons since then, where people go, oh, I think Carolina's got too many point guards. You don't ever have enough point guards, ever, ever, never. If you have one extra scholarship sitting around and you can't decide what to do with it, go find a point guard. Because you need someone to throw the ball and to run the offense to the other players on your team. So if anybody has an extra scholarship in their couch cushions, 
give it to a point guard because you can never have too many. Even when you think you got plenty, you don't. You don't have plenty. So, we'll see. Adam, I mean, that's third loss in a row. Carolina hadn't lost three in a row since 2014. And... It's just that not only do the Tar Heels badly need a win, they just badly need to play better. Well, and this is the this is a time where it feels like the schedule is giving Carolina a chance at the thing they need. They needed to play a home game, and they needed to not play one of the best couple teams in the country. And so they get a home game against Pitt. They should be able to win that game. And I really think, I think, that second half, you saw a little something. Like, you saw offensive Joel Berry, but not like crazily offensive Joel Berry who wants to do everything, but who you saw him look for Cam Johnson a couple times, and Cam Johnson knocked him down. And I think if you had had the same Theo that you had in the previous game, who looked like he was kind of figuring out where his place would be offensively, if you put those three guys on the court, you're in good shape, and we hadn't even talked about Luke May. So, I, I just think, I think Carolina's going to play much better on Saturday. And then all you got to do is just play three games in five days. And so, no problem. Um, two things. Yeah, it's been weird. These last two games, two guys have stepped up huge offensively and no one else has been able to do anything. Against State, it was Luke May and, and Theo Pinson. And then against Clemson, it was Cam Johnson and Jill Berry. And you... you Carolina forever has been, particularly under Coach Williams, but really forever. The reason, one of the reasons Carolina has been so good is because so many guys can get you. So if you slow down this guy, well, this guy's going to get you. And if you stop Tyler Hansborough, well, Wayne Ellington's going to drop a couple threes on you. If you slow down, uh, if you slow down uh, Raymond Felton, then Sean May is going to eat you up inside. Whatever. And right now, for whatever reason, in these last couple of games, they haven't been able to get that full consistency some of that's just the length of a season you're gonna have a down game and it's just come at bad times um and then the thing you said about Joe Barry I thought for the first time in a long time and this is even with him scoring 27 you could almost see him let go a little bit of you know what I'm gonna have to throw the ball to Garrison Brooks in the post he may get his shot blocked but to do what we've got to do I'm gonna have to feed it to him or I'm going to have to pass it to Brendan Robinson and let him get this look from the left wing instead of me just whatever it was. And that, in my opinion, was never Joel Berry being selfish. It was him trusting himself more than he trusted anybody else, which is fine. But I think it almost seemed to me like he had made this conscious decision to go, you know what? They're they're gonna it's gonna have to happen sometime. It's it's gonna start happening now. Uh, yeah, I think before you could look at him and see that he believed it is my job to win the game for my team because I'm the senior and everybody says I'm the leader, so I must do it by making baskets. And I think it's not a coincidence that you saw a little different style after he had his heart to heart with Coach Williams on Monday uh, before the Tuesday game. And I think that was kind of the message Roy Williams gave him. And, and Roy Williams said so, that he just told him, relax. Relax and be Joel Berry. You don't have to be more than Joel Berry. Just relax and be Joel Berry. And 
I thought that was more of the player we saw in the second half and more of the player we're used to seeing. Maybe David Noel can talk about this exact topic, Adam. Anything else uh, from Clemson's four-point win over the Tigers? No. Um, again, we've mentioned this a couple times. I thought Carolina got some pretty good minutes from Sterling Manley. I mean, not like all-American minutes, but like when he was out there, he did positive things. Sterling Manley has, he has the core, whatever it is that you need. I think it is still very unrefined at this moment, but the great news is that Carolina has a Hall of Fame head coach who likes to work with the big guys, and I think eventually, I think eventually Sterling Manley is going to be really good. Right now, he's raw, but he does some nice things that you can't, you can't teach guys to do like his, I mean, his long arm, I mean, he's just big, so big, but I think he just, he's got to work on his defense. He's got to work on it. Just footwork, his coordination. Um, he needs to just chill out a little bit when he gets the ball in the post, but those are all things that come with being a young guy. And I think eventually he's going to be, eventually I think he's going to be pretty good. I think when you look at Thomas from Clemson, you think, he doesn't do anything that Sterling Manley is not capable of doing. Right. Down the road. I mean, Thomas blocked six shots. So I think that's a that's a reasonable goal, and you can show Sterling Manley that and go, look, this guy seriously impacted the game on Tuesday. And you, if you keep working, are capable of having that kind of impact. So 8 o'clock Saturday night, Tar Heels and Pitt in the Smith Center. It is here in a stretch where the Tar Heels play just one time in about a week and a half, but then they play three times in five days, but they're in the middle of the one time in a week and a half right now. And so it is in a key stretch, not only to hopefully win on Saturday, but to kind of come back together, get your mind right at them and then get ready to go here for the last seven games or whatever it is of the regular season for the heels, which are going to be tough. Yes. Which are going to be tough. All right, Adam, I have before, do you have a list today? I do. Okay, before we get to that, I have a double. How can you justify that? I do not have to justify. How can you justify what you've done? How do you justify? How can you possibly justify that? Number one, Adam, I am giving myself how can you justify that? And this comes off of Dennis Goss sending us his Bojangle. He was excited. He had received uh, his Bojangles gift card in each one of the little, uh, you know, in the envelopes. We put the gift card, put a little Carolina Insider, just said, congratulations, see you, Big Grits. And I thought it'd be fun to put a little lime skittle in there. I'm guessing Dennis wasn't the only one. For some reason, I didn't think about the fact that perhaps the lime skinnel would get squished somewhere along its journey from my hand to, in this case, Dennis's hands. Um, so Dennis showed us the picture, and it looks like there's like this giant booger or something on the uh, on the letter. So um, how can you justify that, Jones? I was trying to do something a little fun. And I think probably I just made it messy for all of the people who received the uh, letter. So, sorry about that. <laughs> Number two, 
I already had, look, I even wrote a note about how can you justify that. And we had multiple people send us a how can you justify that about this, Adam. You and I have talked about halftime performances before. Like we see, we see these same halftime shows. I, I mean, honestly, what do you think? There's about seven, seven maybe out there that really, like I'm guessing their life is they are halftime performers. Right. Which, congratulations. I mean, you've made it to the very elite group of people who make their living performing at halftime. Congratulations. I mean, I'm guessing I'm guessing that these people aren't also like, you know, like you always hear like, I'm always blown away when it's like, oh, this referee also right. owns a roofing company or right. is a lawyer. And I'm like, what? How do they have time to do that? Yeah. But anyway, I'm guessing the halftime people aren't that. I'm guessing this is what they do. So we've seen the Simon Says guy, although I haven't seen him as much lately. We've seen the uh, quick change folks. Which, by the way, I feel like the quick change folks, like they're, they're going through the motions a little bit right they, now. They seem tired. They seem fatigued. Well, I think part of the problem is the dance that the guy does. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like the quick change guy's dance is I bet what I would look like if like, <laughs> Like when my wife's like, hey, let's go take shagging lessons. And like we go to the we go to them and like I may be stepping right. properly, but I look like I'm like, like my legs are made of cement, you know, whatever. Right. It's like. Uh, 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 uh. And so when you're doing this, when you're doing this dance for so long, I think it must wear you down. Right. It seems to have worn him down. Okay. Well, the problem is he doesn't seem amazed anymore. Right. Like the first couple times we saw him, when when she changed clothes, he would be totally blown away. Like, whoa, look at that. She's got on a different color dress. Now she changes her dress and he just looks mad. Yeah. Like he kind of scowls like, why aren't y'all you people amazed? Yeah. She had on yellow and now it's green. Yeah. So we've seen the quick change, folks. Mm -hmm. Superstars, seen them. Seen the superstars. Seen the Frisbee dogs? Oh, come on. Who doesn't love Frisbee Those dogs? are always good every time. Yeah. We've seen this new little guy who's, or this guy's got the little dog that like balances on the basketball and does stuff. Yeah. That's fine. And Adam, then you have Red Panda. Mm -hmm. Now, I appreciate Red Panda. However, Red Panda has gained this like cult status, particularly with sports media, which is a little over the top. Yes. I'm not going to claim that like Red Pen is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Although it is impressive. She's on a unicycle. She kicks bowls up onto her head. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know how you decide to do that or how you learn to do it, but she's done it. Right. So congratulations to me. Probably, even though, again, my senses are a little dulled to this. I'm guessing the gold standard of halftime performances. Red Panda her performance on Tuesday was equivalent to the Tar Heels three-point defense in the first half against Clemson. Yeah, she was at Clemson, for those who don't know. Yeah. She, she was dropping balls left and right. Yes. I mean, to the point where it was even noticeable. Like, you and I, and I wasn't even paying attention because yeah. the Tar Heels were down 16 at this point, and I was trying to scribble some notes down or look up stuff. And, um, but I, I, I noticed the balls were hitting the ground. Well, and she, we were close enough to her that we could see she was visibly distressed. Yeah, shaken. And, and a couple times she, she said while riding the unicycle after she dropped a bolt, she was like, what is wrong with me? 
And but I mean, not like to the whole crowd, but right. we could hear because right. that's how close we were. Right. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of, yeah, I kind of compare it to like when the quarterback goes to the other team, like when Joe Montana played for the Chiefs, yeah, or like when you know when like, Joe Namath played yeah. for the Rams. I mean, Brett I wasn't Favre's a, on the Vikings. Yeah, or I wasn't alive for Joe Namath, but you know what I'm saying, right? Like it just there's there's always this moment that they go. I ain't got it anymore. Right. And I was like, holy smokes. Is this this moment for Red Panda? And again, not a Red Panda fanboy like some. I'm impressed, but I don't act like it's like me watching the immaculate conception right in front of me. Right. It's not. It's not that exciting. Here's the thing about Red Panda. It's the exact same every time. Right. There's never been a time that it wasn't exactly like it was the time before. Right. Well, and so to me, that's that's the thing that I don't quite get. Like, light something on fire. Sure. Do, oh, can do, you imagine do if something. those bowls are on fire? See? That's what I'm saying. So anyway, I consciously was having this moment of like, man, she's having a Namath with the Rams moment. <laughs> like, it's over. It's over. But in my... Anger and disappointment after the game, it just kind of it floated away, Adam. Until this, the next day, I see this article, which has now made plenty of rounds. Yep. That somebody stole her original unicycle, mm-hmm. and so she's like, there can't be that many enormous. <laughs> 70-foot unicycles out there that are used to ride while you balance salad bowls on your foot, (laughs) toss them into the air, and have them land in a stack on your head. The market for that has to be small. Yeah. So she is on a reserve unicycle. And Adam, as you said, it's the same every time. She's been doing this for years. Now it makes sense. She's thrown off. Of course she is. Yeah. Of course she's thrown off. Yeah. You're on a different unicycle. So I have to tell you, I was semi-prepped to have a how can you justify that red panda for not being able to catch your bowls anymore. But no, Adam. Who... Why, and maybe most importantly, how do you steal a giant unicycle? How can you justify that? This article that you mentioned deserves a little more examination on our part. We might need to put on our investigative journalism caps. So it's from KTVU. That's where I get most of my news. Yeah, you know, uh, eyewitness news. So, on Wednesday, at, well, let's, let's set the scene. Red Panda has returned via airplane from one of her many engagements. Also, I have a quick question. If Red Panda has her Namath with the Rams performance at Clemson, does she still get paid? 
Like, did she get paid full oh, price yeah. for that? Of course she does. Because you get paid before you get there, right? Yeah, there's no way that you have, like, a qualifier of if I drop X amount of bowls. Well, I felt like she felt so bad that she might, like, well, give some pro- back. She's a pro. She might give it back. I bet she. I bet Clemson gets a free performance when she gets her unicycle back. So at some point, Red Panda had returned, and she was at the San Francisco airport. As Figley, her agent, of course, as you know, Jens, tells the story, Red Panda had landed at San Francisco from Denver, and she was waiting for her bag filled with her seven-foot unicycle to come off the conveyor belt. I said 70-foot. That might be a little large. Well, I'm sure it collapses. So... You can't put that in the overhead bin. You have to check it. Yeah, of course. She saw the bag from a distance. But as she was about 10 to feet, 10 to 15 feet away, someone must have grabbed it, Figley said. He said it's possible someone took it by mistake. That's one where it's like, I mean, yes, I do think originally it's possible someone grabbed it by mistake. But then wouldn't you go, hmm, wait a second, am I the owner of a giant unicycle? <laughs> <laughs> All bags look alike, but unicycles are pretty unique. Am I? This is something else. This is something I need. Whether it is... Would the actual owner of this giant <laughs> unicycle perhaps need it back? Now, Jones, you may crack your jokes. Yeah. But... Now, somebody's livelihood's on the line here, Adam. There's a unicycle theft ring going on. What? Yes. Whether it is a coincidence or not, says KTVU Eyewitness News, another unicycle was stolen the same day. This time, an electric one, Jones, an electric unicycle. Wait a minute until you hear the whole story. Okay. (laughs) It was stolen from a 24-year-old woman riding it in the 3900 block. Of San Leandro Street in Oakland. It's a unicycle ring. It's a cartel. It's got, it can't be. It can't be that hard to find it. (laughs) I mean, unless, unless you're privately displaying this unicycle (laughs) for your own enjoyment. It can't be that hard to find. It can't. You just got to look for the person riding the giant unicycle down the street. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. Are we not at all curious about how someone stole an electric unicycle from a 24-year-old woman riding it down the street in Oakland? Like, I would think it would be the easiest of all vehicles to steal. All you've got to do is put it like a broomstick in the spoke. They're going to turn over. Then you yourself get on the giant unicycle and boom, you're out. But whoever stole it has to be able to ride a unicycle. Well, it just narrows the pool. Okay. Our culprit. We have surveillance photos. Oh, my. I didn't know that. At wow, K- there's been some follow-up on the story since it originally broke. At KTVU's request, mm. I think they put that in there to help with like the Pulitzer sure. uh, Award nominations. The San Francisco Police Airport Division mm. took a break from telling you that your, your bag was too big, and they released surveillance photos of a man with a red ponytail and beard. That sounds about right. Who walked into the Terminal 3 baggage claim and took a black roller suitcase containing the unicycle 
from carousel number five. I'm going to narrow it down for you a little more. The pictures show him in Skechers oh. wheeling a black bag and a suitcase away on a cart. Now, you watched Price is Right as I did. Yeah, sure. We're going to play a pricing game. The unicycle is worth how much? Is this fresh off the shelf or is this the black market price? Uh, this is per KTVU's investigative journalism. $750. The unicycle is worth, according to KTVU, $25,000. <laughs> Adam, we got to find this unicycle. <laughs> $1, Bob. $1. <laughs> so... Well, I mean... It's a $25,000 unicycle. Yep. I guess... If it had two wheels, imagine what it would cost. Yeah. 50. <laughs> All right. We got to find it. Get Mr. Goose Honkers on this. All right. <laughs> if anybody's seen a man with a red ponytail and a beard... Right. Check how many, how many wheels his transportation has. Of, co of course he has a red ponytail and a beard. Yeah. couple things from Twitter. Uh, Brendan sent us this, and I had seen this. It's a picture... <laughs> It's a picture of Boston Celtic coach Brad Stevens standing with his arms crossed in front of a fan who also has his arms crossed, who is standing in front of another guy who is wearing a shirt that has Brad Stevens with his arms crossed on the shirt. Yeah. Big pod listener, Brad Stevens, apparently. Two more things before we get to your list. Jen Fuller said that she was up with her nine-month-old little guy last night at 4 a.m. And when he finally went back to sleep, what ended up lulling Jen back to sleep was the story time jingle from the pod stuck in her head. Adam, Mr. Goose Honkers strikes again. <laughs> Is there nothing that Mr. Goose Honkers can't do? Finally, Garrett Ball sent us this. He said, even two-year-olds pick up something from overhearing the pod. I very, very. I very, very. Sweeping the nation. Teach the children well. Let's uh let's open up the old notebook and look at the list. What's on the top of Adam's list? Brought to you by Top of the Hill, where Tar Heels come to celebrate. We got to talk about this. Did you see the story about the NC State fan who bought a Snapchat filter? I, I, after NC State fan, I lost <laughs> even understanding what you were talking about. Okay. I mean, I know what a Snapchat filter is okay. in theory. Apparently, you can buy them. So, like, that's how people do it for their weddings or whatever, and you go to the wedding and they've got their own filter or whatever. I'm really saying a bunch of words. I don't know what they mean. I'm trying to put them together sure. to make it sound like I do. Sure. But for some amount of money, you can buy a specific one. An NC State fan per multiple newspapers, so you know it's true, bought a Snapchat filter for the Smith Center on the day of the Carolina Duke game. And the filter says something to the effect of, like, at the top it says, like, remember UNC and Duke fans? And then at the bottom it says, you both lost to NC State. And then it has, like, a little picture of Kevin Keats. Boom roasted. <laughs> Adam. Adam, I got bad news. 
I'm not sure Carolina and Duke basketball is going to survive. This guy has burned them to the ground too badly. Do you think in the entire history of time, since the Mesozoic era, there has ever been one second when any fan of North Carolina ever even had this thought cross their mind? Like, hey, when, when State and Duke get together, I'm going to buy a Snapchat filter, and I'm going to make them all think about North Carolina. No. That's, that's, no one's ever thought of that. Nor would they pay actual money for that. There was an awesome story on GoHeels.com about Matt Collins by Lee Pace. Yes, there was. And so if you're, if you're on the fence about the Super Bowl, I recommend that story on GoHills.com and you'll be rooting for the Eagles. It really is amazing to think about Matt Collins four or five years ago and Matt Collins right now. I mean, unbelievable that he went from somebody who Caroline wasn't even sure they were going to take as a walk-on to being a captain as a freshman to become, you know, switching positions and then becoming a big-time wide receiver to now being a member of a team playing for the Super Bowl. And a guy, and while he's not their number one receiver right now, a guy who contributes to their team. Unbelievable. I'm going to root for the Eagles because of that story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Also because, well, I'm going to root for the Eagles. Uh, One other thing. I would put this in the how can you justify that category, but we've covered that well already. Did you see the story about how UNC Charlotte students became so incensed that there was a sign on the highway near their school congratulating Carolina for winning the national championship, and so they petitioned to have it taken down? And they did take it down. Tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev, slash this sign congratulating the Tar Heels for the 2017 national championship. Every now and then, Adam, I get a reminder of this. Yeah. Like, there's Carolina, and there's Duke, and there's State, and there's Wake. And then, you know, there's a strong hatred from ECU. And then you've got Charlotte. And for some reason, I, I, hold, I hold no feelings towards Charlotte. I am... I am rooting for them to do whatever they want to do. Good for you, Charlotte. Diego Guevara is probably a senior as far as I am concerned. Charlotte hates Carolina. Hates it. And I don't mean the city. I mean the university. The fans of their university. You and I have seen it when we've been there for baseball back in the day. That's when I first realized it. I mean, it's strong. Yeah. Like it's strong. And I don't get it. Why? What why? I don't understand that. Like I have I have no ill will towards Charlotte at all. Good job, 49ers. I think you're D one in football now. Great. You fired Mark Price. Okay. Maybe that was the right decision. I got no idea. You've got a tiny little baseball stadium. That's good. I I don't get the hatred from Charlotte. Well, and when people say 
Oh, Carolina should play the in-state no. schools more? I used to believe that. I don't believe it anymore. That's what you don't get is how much those schools put into games like that, that that Carolina sees as just being one on the schedule. To to those teams, it's one of one. And when we would go to Charlotte for baseball. Even like a, like a Tuesday game in April. And Carolina's pitching like the 37th guy on the roster. And Charlotte's like warming up the ace. Yeah. No, that's right. It would be one thing if you and I were exaggerating right now. No, that's what happened. Yeah. We're really not. Yeah. So, and just don't, don't forget that Tar Heel fans. When Carolina runs up against one of these teams in the tournament or in a football situation or something, it means a ton to those other teams. I'm going to tell you something. Remember I told you about how awesome BJ Surhoff was in my what up the other day. One of the things that BJ Surhoff said that I thought was really good was when he was doing his, his speech at the first pitch dinner this past weekend. He goes, never forget, you are the ones with the target on your back. You're the ones that it makes their season if you lose, if they beat you. And he cut right to it, boy. He goes, you know those guys from Davidson? Because, of course, Davidson eliminated Carolina from the tournament in very surprising fashion last year. He goes, you just made their lives. And he said, they are going to be able to talk about that for the rest of their life. And he said, and he was, he was like, and congratulations to them. They won the game. He said, but you have to understand that's what you're, you're up against me having a story to tell the rest of my life if we win this game. You're, that's what you're up against. I saw that. With, and it was just the way he told it was awesome. Because somebody who knows, he's BJ Suroff, for goodness sakes. So, anyway. You and BJ Suroff, Adam, same, same plane of thought. Very similar athleticism as well. Um, I got a quick what up. This is a, a friend of the pod and a close friend of a, a recent pod guest. Happy birthday to Jennifer Thompson. Hope she has a great day. Hope she enjoys the pod. What up? Jennifer Thompson. Adam, before we get to our interview with uh, David Noel, you have the tickets for the pit game. And you were going to choose someone just through the pod. We weren't going to do any social media things here. Are you? Did you want to announce the winner here or were you going to make that privately? I didn't know what your plan was. I, I, it was a good story, so I think we should we should tell people who got it. Okay. So, Adam, we received a bunch of uh, – we really did receive a bunch of good stories and just some folks who were going to be in town or who had, you know, streaks of going to games and they were hoping – so a lot of, lot of good choices, but this was the one we chose. It comes from Seth Priminger, Priminger. Jones and Adam, I'm writing to request the tickets to the pit game. In doing so, please allow me a brief bittersweet story time. I don't feel like Mr. Goose. I don't want to fire up. Mr. Goose Honkers is never wrong, but it doesn't feel like this is right. the right time. I'm a diehard UNC fan who grew up in Chapel Hill, though I now live in Chicago. In parentheses, Adam, go Cubs. I knew as soon as I saw that, this, yeah. could, this could just say blah, blah, blah after this, and you were probably going to pick him. Oh, was there more of the email? <laughs> you were like, yeah, it's a great story. He said, go Cubs. Cubs. Yeah, that's right. When I started dating my now wife, some of my family members were not on board with the decision. Quick reminder, this is Seth's story, not mine. <laughs> 
<laughs> Not so my dear grandma, who loved Tracy immediately and would frequently ask about her when we spoke on the phone, not caring so much what was going on with me. Eventually, the rest of the family came around, but Tracy and my grandma always had a special bond. This past Saturday, my grandma passed away. I'm coming into town this weekend for the funeral. In addition to a mandatory visit to cookout, what up? I would love nothing more than to bring Tracy, a Chicagoan, to her first UNC game. While she was unfamiliar with this whole college basketball thing when we first got together, she's all in now. I have not been to the Smith Center in seven to eight years, and the last UNC game I attended was in Houston. He said, I'll just leave it at that. It would brighten a sad trip immeasurably if we were able to cheer the heels on against Pitt. Thanks from a huge pod listener and fan, Seth. Seth will be in touch. Yep. Okay. We got to get to our interview with David Noel. Quick reminder, of course, that we're brought to you by visitmyrtlebeach.com, the website that will help you make the most of your stay in Myrtle Beach and have the best vacation ever. How can you justify that? Coming your way from Circle K. I can't believe I had to lay a how can you justify that on myself, Adam. Sometimes you got you to gotta check yourself or yeah. you're going to wreck yourself. You don't want to do that. Circle K prides itself on providing customers what they need when they need it. They take care of people's time. They'll find great people serving its customers in clean stores, offering all kinds of terrific products like ice cold Coca-Cola. Adam's What Up was brought to you by StubHub, the official secondary ticketing partner of Carolina Athletics. Okay, let's get to our conversation with David Noel. We'll come back and wrap things up on the podcast after you hear from 2005 national champion, current head coach at Southern Durham High School, David Noel. We've got another national champion in Pod World headquarters. Uh, we also have another head coach in Pod World headquarters, uh, David Noel, a member of the 2005 national champions and the current head coach at his alma mater, Southern Durham High School. Uh, played professionally for many years and nice enough to give us a few minutes, David. Uh, how you doing and how's, how's life as a coach? Good, man. I'm happy to be here uh, back on Carolina's campus. It's been a while since I've been up here. So, uh, you know, being a coach now, don't really have the time that you, you used to have to just kind of wallow around and enjoy <laughs> enjoy campus a little bit. But um, it, it's been good, man. I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying the ride and, and can't wait uh, uh, for many more experiences to come. Now that you're a coach, do you look back at when you're a player and you're like, now I see why he got so mad all the time? <laughs> it's utterly ridiculous how many times I do that per game, per practice. And, and I just look at the guy sometimes and I just be like, you know what? Coach Williams told me about this one. He told me about this. This is why he did this. I get it now. And, and, and you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. Looking back at uh, my days as a player, you, you – you just don't you just don't realize all of the things that head coaches have to do, like scheduling and preparing for practice and practice plans and making sure all of the guys are doing what they're supposed to do in school and it, like it's just, it's so much more on a coach's plate. Um, and now that I'm a coach and and compared to being a player, but like I said, I'm enjoying the ride. But yeah, definitely have those moments quite a bit. What made you decide to want to get into coaching? Um. Honestly, I, I I felt like I always wanted to be a coach. Uh, I've always told many of my coaches that I would probably be a better coach than I was a player because 
on the floor, I could see things and I, and I felt like I, I, I knew they were going to happen or I, I, we could, we could do this and make this happen. But sometimes your ability doesn't allow you to get there. And, um, there were many times throughout our, our playing, my playing days where I, I felt that way, especially once I got older, when my body just <laughs> wouldn't react the way that I, I needed it to. Like my mind just started seeing the game differently, seeing it as a coach, uh, from a coaching perspective. I used to sit in on some of our coaches meeting overseas and things like that, break down film with them, um, and it and it just it, it just felt right. It felt good, and and I felt like I've, I've always wanted to coach. And now that I'm in it, it it's it's the perfect fit for me. I would assume the basketball part of it hasn't been that hard. I mean, you know the game. I mean, and not saying that it's easy to do, but that that's the more natural part. How did you learn to do all the other stuff that you were talking about? Kind of the managing the schedule, managing the guys academic. Who did you reach out to to try to get some help for that and just try to figure out the best way to approach all that side of it? Honestly, it was trial by fire. I, I literally literally was thrown into it. We uh I w- I didn't know I had to do the schedule. Uh, we, the, the previous coach before me had laid out most of the schedule, but we were still missing a couple games. So, and, and it was kind of late because they kind of do that stuff around March, sure. April. Um, and I got the job in August. So I'm, I'm late in the game trying to get games. So I'm calling guys and just trying to figure out who I know in the high school world and all of that kind of stuff, trying to figure out who we can play, uh, reached out to a couple people. Their schedule is already full. You can't over, you can't over schedule. So, Little things like that, uh, it, it was literally trial by fire. And uh, this year, I'll, I'll have a chance to do it on my own and set the schedule that I would like to set and play the teams that, you know, maybe we haven't played in a while. Uh, for whatever reason, we don't play a number of the Durham teams anymore. Like when I was in school, we played every single team in Durham. And this year, we haven't. Uh, Hillside and uh, Northern are in our conference, but we don't play Jordan. We don't play Riverside. So little things like that I, w- I would like to get back on our schedule, and we'll we'll kind of see how it works out from there. What's one thing that when you were playing you always thought, man, I wish fill-in-the-blank coach would do it this way, that you've been able to try that either did work or, or when you tried it you said, oh, I see why they never did it that so, way. Well, I don't know. You know what? I'm going to do it. So, <laughs> hey, no rules here. Yeah. No rules on I'm going to do this one. I'm going to do this one. So, in in college, uh coach Williams, we we always helped from the ball side corner. I always hated that. Because we always give up that shot. I think that's the easiest pass when a guy is coming downhill and he is driving left hand going to the basket, basket of course is on the right, and the guy helps from the ball side corner. We always stunt and then get back. I tell my guys, don't you stunt. You better stay right there on that man because I feel like that's the easiest pass to make. When that guy stunts in, you're leaving that guy wide open, and especially if it's a shooter, he gets that, that shot off in a split second. Um, so I tell my guys, do not help from ball side corner at all. Of course, I have to scream it every single game, and we are, yeah, three games out <laughs> out <laughs> for the for the season being over. But I scream it every game. Do not help ball side. Do not help ball side corner. And we do it every single game. But, it, you know, as a coach, you, you can just try to continue to uh, harp on it and, and teach it. And we even do drills with it. But in games, you, you, your players are kind of going to do what they want to do at times. 
You don't know how happy you just made Tariel fans <laughs> by saying that, David. How Tariel's had a little trouble guarding the three here last uh, yeah. last couple of games. Um, do you have you noticed anything from your Carolina days that are sneaking into your now head coach days? Are there some things that you do that you maybe picked up from either Coach Williams or or somebody down the road uh, when you were here at Carolina? So there are a lot of things that I use from the University of North Carolina. Uh, we I warm up every day is uh, uh, kind of like a fast break drill, number one. Uh, we we kind of – we I didn't start off using that, but we were we were taking the ball, getting off the rim, going down and running into people, taking charges. Guys didn't know how to come to a two-foot stop, bounce pass, little things like that. So we, we kind of implemented that. We count the passes and things like that. Um, we have a practice plan every day, which I got here from the University of North Carolina. We, um, we try to stay on a schedule. Uh, as far as everything is concerned. So we, we know what we're doing when we're doing it, but that's more on the coaching side more than the player side because they never see the practice plan, uh, which is a little bit different from here in North Carolina. But um, for the most part, everything that's creeped in is we, we do run regular as I transition. Uh, I've, I've tailored it a little bit to my liking uh, as a coach, but we run regular as, as I transition. And we do we do a lot of the things that North Carolina do. We try to – we use – we use 42. Um, like we, we, I, I got a lot from Coach Williams, and and some of some of my stuff um, is from one of my overseas coaches, a guy named Philip Hervey. Uh, he was very influential as far as he was an offensive mind, and I and I really like some of the things that he did uh, offensively. But uh, but a lot of it does come from here, from the University of North Carolina. Coach Williams has said, even different from when you played that. Today, when when he first gets the players, it, they're much more about them than they are about the team. Mm-hmm. And, and he has to kind of explain, all right, now it's about the team. Mm-hmm. And he said it's kind of a generational thing. H- have you found that? And if so, how have you tried to explain to your guys that, hey, it's not about you anymore? Very much so. It, this generation is a, a very me generation. And I think the biggest thing that I've that I've had to deal with is just understanding that we cannot be selfish at all on the basketball floor. There are times where, yes, I'm going to ask you to take that shot. And and not being selfish is sometimes taking a shot that you want to turn down. Because if you don't take that shot, now you take us all out of rhythm. You got guys waiting, boxing out in the paint. Now we get a three-second call. That's selfish. So I want you to understand the difference in selfishness as well. So um, we've – We've had a little bit of that creep into our team a little bit, and I've, I've tried my best to nip it in the bud right away. So, so these guys understand that, hey, we are playing for the name on the front of the jersey. We don't even have names on the back of our jersey. So, so I, I, <laughs> Not I, a problem. I, right, exactly. <laughs> so I don't, I don't want you to, to feel like that um, you are bigger than Southern Durham. Uh, once, once you take this jersey off for the last time and you look at it, I want you to, I want you to feel a sense of brotherhood that you, you had here. I want, you, I want you to feel a sense of family that you had here, and then I want you to come back and teach these guys exactly what you're learning on the next level, and then your, your eyes will be open as well to what I'm trying to teach you now because you will be able to translate what you're learning here to the next level in college. So. You've mentioned your time overseas a couple of times. It seems like some guys have just a wonderful time doing that, and some guys have a really hard time mm-hmm. doing that. What was your experience like overseas, and did you see it as a beneficial experience for you? Uh, for me, 
I enjoy I enjoy playing overseas. I spent the bulk of my time in France. Uh, that league was for me was uh, first of all it was a, it was an athletic league, and back then I was athletic. It's just <laughs> not not so much now, but um, back like I feel like that that league was tailor made for my game. I was able to uh, I was able to learn. I was able to grow. I was able to be the player that I know I could be over there. Um, even though at times they did ask me to play outside of my character, as you guys know, I'm 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 all I'm a team player. I want to make the right play, that kind of deal. They did ask me to play outside of my character at times, but when I showed them, listen, when I play outside of my character, it may take away from other things. When I showed them that, they they kind of understood a little bit, and um, it it helped me. So my my niche there was very was very good, so I, I truly appreciated my time, um, especially in France and overseas. But I, I learned a lot from overseas, and, and I've brought that back um, with me as a coach as well, just putting on the foundation from Carolina and then learning from overseas as well, and I, I think it's helped me a lot. What culturally do you feel like you learned from, from playing overseas for so long? What experiences did you have that you look back now and go, man, I, I could have never done that without basketball? Uh not I don't think I don't think well first of all I've played in so many different places um that is I would not have ever been able to get there without basketball now culturally I've learned patience patience has been the biggest thing that you learn especially traveling with so many miles and all of that kind of stuff. And then in France, they are a very laid back culture. Like here in America, if you're at dinner, you have the waiter coming over every, you know, five, 10 minutes at best. Hey, you need a refill. Hey, you need this. Hey, you need that. In France, you have to hunt these jokers down. <laughs> like, like, hey, where did he go? Like, so the service industry yeah, struggles yes, over in yeah. France is what you're it, it, Well, no, it, it's not a struggle for them. But <laughs> when you're coming from America, you're like, wait a minute. Like, where is he at? Or where is she? What is she doing? Like, but you learn patience. And they're, they're a very relaxed culture. They, uh, they, they do their best to enjoy you know, like meal times and things like that, family time. And, you know, as as an American, we kind of we kind of overlooked that at times. We're at the table with our phones or with the TV on and things like that. So uh, culturally, I brought that back to my house. Like we have no iPads. We don't have the TV on. We we are patient in restaurants a lot more <laughs> now than we were before we left. So um, culturally, it's it's been a wonderful experience. I learned a little bit of French while I was over there. So, you know, I can kind of harp on that every now and then i understand a lot more than i can speak but uh definitely enjoyed my time and, and the cultural experience so if someone listening doesn't remember david david was what i know which would be a crime in and, in and of itself nah, <laughs> um david was a big time football player had committed here to play football right i mean yep. you were going to play football for I carolina sure was and then made the decision kind of late in the game very late to switch over and and walk on to the basketball, walk on, right? At, yes. at the beginning, walk yes. on to the basketball team. Just what do you remember about that whole experience? Why you made that decision? Why kind of that was the path that you ended up choosing? And do you ever look back and think, man, I wonder what would have happened if I had stuck mm -hmm. with football? I, I look back on that almost uh, once a month, maybe. Um, for me, at the time, football was was – 
it was fun to me. I liked it a lot. I loved basketball. And that that ultimately became what led to me telling the University of North Carolina football program that I didn't want to play. One of the things there were two there were two factors in me not wanting to play football anymore. One, I did not want to play once a week. Two, I did not want to play in cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> just being honest. I'm being honest right now. So, so yeah, it came down to many, the temperature. Many years, yeah, it came down to temperature. If you step outside right now, you step out there and you get hit, You and trust me, you'll, you'll feel it. <laughs> so um, I did not want to really play in cold temperatures. Uh, I remember sitting in practices in, in high school, and it's so f- cold outside, and you got this hard helmet on and stuff like that, and then you go in the gym. It's all nice and toasty. You can you can run around with shorts on, and that's that's ultimately what it came. Thing, yeah, though. it was a comfort thing. Yeah, it was a comfort thing for me. Um, but yeah, it ultimately came down to it ultimately came down to just the love of basketball that I had, and I, I wanted to explore that. Uh, and I told myself if I'm gonna go to college and do this thing full time and like spend all of these so many hours on it, I need to love it. I need to love it, and that's what it—that's what it ultimately came down to was the love of basketball that I had. Um, now every Saturday we would go up to tailgate. I would watch these jokers run out, and I'm like, oh, oh man, like my my heart would get the pumping, and I'm like, every time somebody drop a ball, I'm like, I'd have caught that, like, I, <laughs> like I'm like I'm I'm living it, like, and I'm and I'm watching it, but I'm not out there, so. Um, I really had those flashback moments more so when I was here at the University of North Carolina going to each game and all that kind of stuff. And then there was a moment like two years, I want to say it was like 2008. Yeah, like 2008 or nine that I was getting ready to start back up in football. Uh, Not many people knew that. Uh, I started training. I came over here to the University of North Carolina. I got some cleats. I got some some turf shoes and all that kind of stuff. And I had started to train because I was getting ready to go to a, um, a workout for the Atlanta Falcons and ended up, ended up signing a basketball deal right before I was supposed to go. And it kind of canceled that out. So, uh, and then from that point on, like deals just started rolling in and basketball was, is it for there. And the crazy part about that, I go overseas and guess how many times we played once a week. Yeah, the <laughs> and it was probably that. pretty cold in France. <laughs> right. It was. The gyms were really cold. <laughs> do you ever, do you ever just think about just how close? I mean, so your life, I mean, your adult life has been around basketball, and, and just how close you were to not even exploring the sport. I mean, that's just pretty wild that that it was that decision back when you were eighteen or whatever that that has kind of set your life. Right, right. Um, because when I was younger, when I was younger, football was my favorite sport. And I love to play it. And I was a quarterback, so, you know, the quarterback gets all of the, the accolades and all that kind of stuff. I was pretty good. And then, you know, fast forward to middle school, uh, guys got a little bit bigger than I was. Believe it or not, I have not always been this size. My growth spurt hit, and I was so excited. Adam has yeah. always been this <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm still hoping that my growth spurt's going to hit. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, we um, – Middle school guys just became a little bit bigger than I would have liked to see and kind of got nervous. So in sixth grade, you know, you can't play any sports. So sixth grade, guys were a little bit bigger. I was like, hmm. We started playing intramural, and then that's when the love of basketball kind of kicked in. We started playing intramurals basketball. It was competitive. We were like, I, 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 I was pretty good, a little bit better than what I thought. I was like, wow, okay. And then – one day they had like this money machine where you would 
uh, shoot the little popper shots, and they would give you a dollar for each basket you made. I made like $75. <laughs> and like all ones, too. And I, <laughs> look, and I took it home to my mom. And she was like, David, what have you been doing? Why have you had to stagger That was her exact question. <laughs> and I said, Ma, I made this play of basketball. And from that point on, I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do this thing basketball. And that's kind of where it took off at. I actually made the money and I had practice and I had, I gave the money to my sister and I told her, Hey, take this home. I was nervous. I thought she was gonna lose the money. Um, but when I got home, she had all of it. I think she took a dollar and gave her some M&Ms or something. But, <laughs> but you know, it, it, was, it was cool. So we only had $74 that my mama got. But <laughs> gave her the money, and that was her exact question. What were you do? What are you doing? Mom, I made this playing basketball. And from that point on, it just kind of took off from there. I was, I was excited. When you were here at Carolina, a lot happened with basketball. Yeah. When you think about the first couple years. Yeah. What sticks out to you about those first couple of years? Uh, trials and tribulations, very much so. Um, when we first came in, you know, we we hit this trampoline pad. Boom, we take off. We win six or seven games in a row. We win the preseason. I, NIT, we beat Kansas. We done beat the great coach Roy Williams and all this kind of stuff. And then, whew, after that, man. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Sean May goes down. David Noel is thrown into the five spot. Like, like what? What is this? What is going on? Like, there was there were so many ups and downs and trials and tribulations. And then, of course, Coach Doherty gets fired uh, at the end of that year. So now I'm like, do I even get a scholarship? Who are they bringing in as the coach? And like, are they going like? like me and so we we went through all of this thing and then coach Williams he takes the job and we're, I'm like whew I was nervous because when we played him of course we beat him and all I can remember on the sideline is him yelling like a mud yeah 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 I don't, I don't know if I want to play for that guy <laughs> coach Williams was going ham on the sidelines hey he was crazy when we played him I don't know if I want to I don't know if I want to play for him but when he came in he you know he gave that great speech at the um at the um, press conference. The press conference. Thank you. <sighs> Brain farts. Hate those. Um, it happens when you get old. Right. Man, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trust me. Trust me. Getting there. Um, but, yeah, the press, press conference came in. He let us know right away what, what his expectations were and what he didn't want from us and what he did want from us and things like that. So uh, we were – I was excited. I was excited. And then the growing process started happening. And, and he did a great job in just kind of – leading us to where we needed to be. Again, it was it was a team that um, Coach Doherty had kind of put together, but he led us in the right directions. And then that next year getting um, Marvin Williams and Quentin Thomas was was the probably the best addition that we could have could have gotten because Marvin came in. He was so talented, but again, played for North Carolina and not Williams. And that was the that was the biggest thing because he was number two player coming out, I think, and then ended up going, never started a game, coming off to the bench. And that kind of talent and the talent that we had on that 2005 national championship team was just phenomenal, man. And, you know, then comes senior year. Everybody leaves. <laughs> just just me, Byron, and, and Damian Grant, too. And, and we had guys come in that were ready. They were willing was was the biggest thing. 
They were they were really really ready and willing to listen. And when coach coach talks about me being you know a great leader, which I my my expectations at that at that particular time uh, for myself was to be a great leader and to to show these young guys what it meant to uh, play for the University of North Carolina. And when they came in, they were so attentive and so ready to listen, and they had talent. That's what made it all work. That's what made it all work. And I just I laid the foundation, and they built it from there. And I think that was that was by far. Everybody asked me what my what what was my uh, greatest year here, and I we you know we talk about the national championship a lot, but 2006 was definitely a a very special year for me. When Coach Williams met with the team the first time, wasn't one of the first questions asked to him Raymond asking about you? Yes, Raymond Felton stepped up, my man. He was like, Coach, is David Noel gonna get a scholarship? I said, appreciate you, bro. Thank you. Because <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to be here. So, <laughs> um, but, yeah, Raymond, Raymond stepped up and asked Coach that question. And, and Coach, when Coach said yes, well, I, like the weight of the world fell off of my shoulders because, I, again, I, I just didn't know. I didn't know. I was so nervous. And um, I was hoping that, you know, they would believe in me um, and say, okay, yes, this guy is, is good enough to be – on our team and luckily he said yes and the rest is history from there I want to ask you about two moments or plays both in 06 one is the dunk against Kentucky when you went kind of left side and baseline and mm -hmm. such a memorable play yeah. and then two was uh, the final game of the regular season that year the win in Cameron on Duke senior night a lot of guys who are a part of that team always single that game out as, as one of their favorites during their time at, mm -hmm. at Carolina. What do you remember about those two moments? So the Kentucky dunk, um, I, I don't remember much about it other than when we started running five game, I noticed that if we set a back screen, the guy was running through, which we work on every day in practice, uh, where we do shell drill. When when somebody cuts through, the guy stops under the rim just in case the guy swings baseline. I kept noticing that every time we would set a back screen or a cross screen, the guy wouldn't stop baseline. So I told Marcus, I said, Marcus, I'm going to set you a back screen. Marcus set the back screen. I said, run all the way to the corner. He ran to the corner, and I think it was uh, Moss maybe. Moss closed out on me, and I saw the baseline open up. I said, ooh, go, boom. Took off, and then I just jumped. I just jumped from there. Like I, I, my, I was hoping that I could get there, and I dunked it. And once I dunked it, I was like, "Yeah!" Like I, I was so hyped and and filled with energy because again, um, that was back when you still had. Yeah, that's yeah. Right? Back okay, in, yeah, yeah. Okay. if I tried that now, <laughs> man, it would be a tragedy. But uh, but yeah, I I just jumped, and when I jumped, I, I knew I could get to the rim, and once it went down. Uh, I came down and just yelled at my bench because we were – that team was very emotion-driven. We were we, – we, we fed off of emotion and we fed off of each other's emotion. And to make a play like that in a game like that, especially at Kentucky, was uh, was very special for me. Uh, the win at Cameron, though, yeah, that was my first win at Cameron. So, like, I, I was – 
even when the guys left, when the guys left in 2005, I remember we we got when we got our rings, and I told them, I said, y'all gone now? I said, I'm going to win in Cameron. I told them on that day. Uh, a lot of people might not believe that story, but I told them on that day that I'm going to win in Cameron. And when Duke beat us here the first game, and then we went over there, like J.J. had this hot start, and they, they came out rolling like – I personally was not nervous at all. I was not nervous at all. We, I knew we had the team that could get it done. Uh, it was just a matter of the chips falling in the right place at the right time. Uh, and then once Tyler threw that three up and that thing went in, I was like, oh, shoot, we're really going to win. We're going to win. <laughs> and and the, the, after that game, I ran into that locker room and I hugged all of those dudes and – I think uh, some one of the former players was was saying that uh, like the the look on my face was like so priceless and 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 I believe it was I can't see my own face but like I felt priceless at that moment at that moment those guys leading those young guys into Cameron Indoor Stadium and us coming out with that victory was probably the the most special moment of the 2006 season easily. So. You know, Tyler Hansborough, of course, goes on to become Carolina's all-time leading scorer. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people would consider him one of the most, at least productive players ever to play no at, at Carolina. What what do you remember from him as a young guy? Kind of did you think that he had the potential to be what he became, at least on the college level? Just what do you remember of him, kind of young whippersnapper Tyler Hansborough? He was very quiet. He was very quiet. And he, he, always, he always kept his emotions as – inside for the most part he would give you this like he would he, he would scrunch his face up but he wouldn't never let it out like he would like bite his lips and little things like that to to where he would get uh he would just he, he would get frustrated but then he would just get down the court and then it's on to the next play and that's that's the tyler that continued throughout north carolina and he his his motor just never stopped it never stopped in practice in games. His motor was always on and always uh, better than the other teams, or, or the other team's big man. Or, or like he his his ability to uh, finish around the bucket got better and better and better each year. And then he was able to step out and step out and step out to make jump shots. So um, I, I thought Tyler could be what he was. I didn't see all time leading scorer coming, but I mean. The work that he put in and how 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 uh, how he prepared for each game, dumping himself in ice tubs and all that kind of stuff as a freshman, he he was he was light years beyond uh, what we had ever seen come through here. When you think about your '06 experience, and you mentioned Coach Williams does say you're one of the best leaders he's ever had. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give Joel Barry right now? Who? Yeah, I sent the text message to, uh, to Eric Hoots to send to Joel and Theo a couple weeks back uh, after the, I think it was the Virginia loss, and I told him I said, "Listen, man, this this is this is what you came back for. Believe it or not, this is what you came back for. You came back for moments like this because think about if Joel Burry wasn't here, the the leadership that would be lacking on this team." Joel Burry is here for this moment. There are times where you go through life and you're like, 
all right, you think you were supposed to be here for the championships and the awards and this and that. I think Joel is here to lead this team through a very rough period. Uh, sometimes you have people come into your life where they, they are, they're there for a second and you're like, dang, you really helped me through this tough time in my life. I appreciate you. And then they go. That's why Joel Berry is here this season, I think. And for him, I think he has to understand that. I think I didn't I don't think Joel came in this season saying I'm going to have to be that leader, that leader that continues to push us and push us and push us, but that's what this season has turned into. So, I think for Joel, uh he has to just first off remember to enjoy it still. Good and bad, you still have to enjoy it. You have to understand that hey, all right, we're we're going through a tough time right now. But I still want to enjoy my, 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 my senior year. Let's not let this go too far left. And relax a little bit on the floor. Everybody go out and remember, have fun. Have fun. And that was one of the things that happened my senior year. Um, I think I saw a piece that you wrote, Adam, uh, mentioning me um, in, in talking about Joel, my breakdown at, at Virginia. After my breakdown at Virginia, it was like, I, I just said, okay, Dave, take all of this weight off. Like, I, I had on weight vests, I had on weight shoes, I had on ankle weights and all that kind of stuff. Take all of this weight off. Like, you got the weight of the world on you. Let's let's just go out and have fun. And that's what happened. And and it turned into a, a winning camera. It turned into a three seed into uh, the uh, the NCAA tournament. So I think if, if at this point they just, they, they just got to reel it in a little bit, have fun, settle down, and the wins will continue to come back to where – they were at the beginning of the season and we'll be fine going into the tournament and the, and the, and the NCAA tournament. So, um, for Joel right now, just, just take, take your hat off, reminisce a little bit, remember the fun times and, and try to reproduce those on the court now. Last thing before we let you go, cause I know you have a real job right, that you have right. to get to and everything. <laughs> um, how you're a part of a very exclusive club of, of national champions at Carolina. Unfortunately, that club, has gotten bigger since you left here. Like it. Um, how has your life been different in relation to your time at UNC since you are a part of that club? Uh, you, you're always remembered for that national championship. Like, uh, there's nothing that anybody can take away from us. We've, uh, since that national championship, things have been, you know, just easy going, so to speak. Uh, and again, every time you come back to the University of North Carolina, whether it's at a game or whether it's just walking through campus or, you know, eating at Sutton's, uh, like you, you're remembered for that. And that's, and that's, and you, and that's what you want to do. You just want to leave a piece of yourself everywhere that you go. And I think that's the, my life hasn't necessarily like been like dramatically changed because of that, but it has, you know, that, that, that memory that we can come back to and say, Hey, I helped do this. And now I can bring my kids in and say, hey, look at that one. Look at that one that says 2005. Daddy was a part of that team, that kind of deal. So um, that that's what it does. It, it just gives you uh, moments in, in history that nobody can take away now. Nobody can ever say that North Carolina did not win the 2005 National Championship. Nobody can ever say that David Noel wasn't a part of that team. So because I was. And now I can move forward and, you know, hopefully get a – state championship over at Southern Durham or something like that. So, you know, so I can make some more history.
good stuff from David Noel. Every part of it, Adam, I enjoyed. I enjoyed some of the old stories. I enjoyed him talking about being a head coach. And I think you saw a little window of what he was talking about, about how, how he sees the game. Even in just talking about that play against Kentucky, which was, you know, hello, 12 years ago at this point. And he was sitting there going, well, you know, they, he didn't wait underneath the, to protect the baseline when we set that back screen. And so I told Marcus Ginyard to do this and this. And so I knew that it would be open and boom. I mean, that is, uh, that was cool. I enjoyed the interview with David. He was great. And as nice a guy, as pleasant a person as you're going to find. He's on my all-time favorites list. If you don't remember that play, it was early in the season and nobody thought that team was going to be any good. And it was a game at Kentucky in Rupp Arena. And when he dunked on Kentucky like that, it was like you felt better about the entire year just because he had done that. That's one of the most memorable plays of the Roy Williams era for me. Also, I will never forget the first time I saw David Noel. It was in the practice gym. And as you might remember, there's a lot going on around Tar Heel basketball at that time. And, you know, everybody knew about Raymond Felton and Sean May because it was a big class that had a lot of talented players. So you're excited to see those guys. And they were there. And they were playing pickup. And there was somebody down on the other baseline who was kind of shooting around. And then he did, this was around the time I think Vince Carter was doing this dunk where he would stand flat-footed on the baseline, flat-footed, and then like jump out and do a windmill and dunk it. And whoever it was was doing that. And I said, I think to Eric Hoots, I said, who is that? And he goes, oh, that's the football guy. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, that's David Noel, the guy who was going to play football, but now he's going to play basketball. I was like, no, I'm talking about the guy who's doing the flat-footed windmill dunks off the baseline. He's like, yeah, that's David Noel. Yep. That, that's how good he was. And I think people don't realize or appreciate, and he even talked about how he was close to trying football again, how incredibly talented you have to be to do just one of those things at the level he did it, but to have the ability to do two sports at that level is a different kind of athleticism. That moment after the Virginia game his senior year was a huge moment for that team. And to hear him talk about how he had reached out just to give Joe Barry some words of encouragement and some words of, hey, I've been through this too, him, uh, Barry and, and Theo Pinson. Uh, I think that speaks a little bit to what Carolina basketball is all about because David Noel didn't have to do that. It doesn't mean nothing that happens with this year's Carolina team means anything for David Noel and his current walk of life. Um, but he saw the similarities. He saw a place where he could help, and I thought that was cool. Yes, and, and he knew he had been right where they are. And to take the time to reach out to them, I mean, if you don't love David Noel, you and I are not going to be friends. When he was telling that, when he was answering that thing about this is why you're supposed to be here, I felt like I wanted to go Lumberton lady in the Rams going to be like, yes! <laughs> okay! <laughs> um, so we really appreciate the time from Dave Noel. He was great. Uh, next week, we will talk about the pit game, which is a big one. And then, man, woo, watch out. Tariels have three games in five days. We might have to do some late-night podding after the Duke game. Who even knows what's going to happen with that? Oh, we got a busy week coming up. But here's the great news, Adam. Bad mojo, gone. Yep. David Noel, 
you, sir, set the tone for the positive mojo as he sets us out here on the Carolina Insider. I'm David Noel. See you later, Big Grits. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. All state vehicle and property insurance company and affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.